Are you ready to hear the word? For, we're in for a very special treat today. Andre Zaremba is here with us. He's a newlywed. Here is he and his beautiful Russian wife named Elizabeth. She's not yet in the States. Andre is an American citizen. He came here in the late 80s as a nine-year-old boy. And uh, the American way of temptations and wickedness got a hold of him. But God set him free through the ministry of a rehab center in Israel. Amazing. So I don't want to tell any more of his story, but you're going to be amazing. This, this ministry also includes a Bible school and a church planning effort that thus far they've planted over 30 congregations in Israel. That's awesome. New Covenant congregations for Jews. Isn't that great? God's doing big things. This is Romans 11 coming to pass in our lifetime. So the next voice you hear after this next video will be Andre Zaremba as he comes forward after this video. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they might have life and life more abundantly. Just like 2,000 years ago, Israel is waiting for the coming of its Messiah, waiting for the King to come and save Israel. But the Messiah is already here. He is walking in the streets of Israel, healing the sick, freeing people from darkness and slavery to sin, giving people hope, a future, and an abundant life. 14 years ago, on these streets of Tel Aviv, he also found me. I just got out of prison. Drugs completely ruined my life. I was lonely, sick, hopeless, but no will to live. It was in this hopeless situation that Jesus found me and arranged a meeting with a wonderful man, Vladimir Krichko, who told me that I don't have to suffer because Jesus had already suffered for me. I did not need to die because Jesus had already died for me. And that evening, I accepted Yeshua as my Lord and Messiah. He walked into my life and it completely changed. Yeshua returned my health to me, gave me a beautiful wife and children. He gave me many friends and an amazing ministry. Now my life is full of joy and meaning. My life is truly filled with God's blessing. That is why today my team and I, the Living Israel community, have dedicated our lives to the spreading of the gospel of the kingdom of God in the land of Israel. And we do this through various outreach programs, which include a soup kitchen in Tel Aviv, where every month we feed more than a thousand people who are in a hopeless situation. We have opened nine rehabilitation centers for men and women, through which we help them get out of the slavery of drugs and alcohol. We also have shelters for women who have been abandoned by their husbands or who are exposed to domestic violence. We have a Bible school of discipleship, whose graduates open more than 30 churches throughout Israel. We help new immigrants integrate into Israeli society through various social projects. We honor and serve the Holocaust survivors through daily home visits, monthly events, and holidays. We give them our gratitude and show them our love. Today, one of the highest priorities in the work of our community is the ministry to young people, the youth and children. And through various youth camps, conferences, and other projects, we are building our future, fulfilling His great commission by going to the last sheep of the house of Israel and bringing them the gospel of salvation. And we invite you to partner with us for the fulfillment of God's plan here in the Holy Land, Israel.
Shalom, everybody. Um, my name is Andre. That's not me in the video. That's my senior pastor. My name is Michael. And um, I have an honor and a privilege to be part of such a great ministry in Israel. Uh, these are all Jews. Uh, most of them are Russian-speaking Jews from the former Soviet Union um, that are mostly from atheist background who never knew God before from a communist country that immigrated back in, into Israel. And now today, when you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Israel, they gladly accept their Messiah as Lord and Savior. So it's an awesome ministry in Israel. And uh, we're really happy that we have friends like uh, Pastor Alan and wife uh, Yvette, also Greg and Marietta. <laughs> My wife is Russian. Her name's easier. It's Elizabeth. <laughs> you guys speak twice with hard names. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm really happy to be here. Um, I've already been here in the morning. This is an awesome church. It has a feel that you know, you know when you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's always nice. It's when you walk in, you feel uh, peace of God in your heart. So it's really awesome because um, I'm really nervous. You know, I haven't preached since last year. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> they had to listen to this joke twice. <laughs> Cheesy joke. I apologize. All right. Um, I'm going to um, share a little bit of my story. I mean, Jesus is so awesome. God is so good. Um, it's interesting. Now I know why God put in my heart to preach what I'm going to preach on today. It's, um, it's the same message on identity that he, he chose us. He loved us first. Um, for me, um, I'm going to just start from the beginning. Um, I uh, grew up also in the communist country, it was the former Soviet Union, uh, now it's called Ukraine, um, but I had a good childhood. Um, I grew up in a really good family, um, well, before I was born it wasn't so good, my dad was al alcoholic, but he came to Christ before I was born. So when I was growing up, I was growing up in a good family, um, we had an underground church, uh, and we lived close to the military base, so churches and preaching and praying, all those kinds of things were illegal in that country. So we were kind of sneaking around. It was at night, going to other people's houses and, and uh, praying. Then the soldiers would sneak in and then you have to sneak them out. So it was kind of a cool, interesting life when you were a kid. And then um, in 1990, uh, I immigrated to the United States when the Soviet Union fell apart. And um, that's when my troubles really started. See. Uh, my parents, when we came to the United States, everything was so free here. The, the freedom to express religion and pray anywhere you want after, you know, being in underground church uh, was kind of too much for my parents. So they were thinking, they were, they, were, they were sheltering us from this world, and now that that was going to come and steal us. So they were very overprotective. Um, I remember the Atari came out, maybe... <laughs> A lot of people here don't know the younger kids who, what that is. No TV, no Atari, no hanging out with your friends because the bad influence. So at the very young age, the devil put a seed into my mind that God is not a good father, that God only uh, is happy when you're suffering, when you're somewhere underground, when uh, you have to suffer, when there's no freedom. Uh, in my mind, that was God. 
that he didn't want me to be happy. He didn't want me to enjoy life. He didn't want me to be out of my friends playing soccer, you know. So when you're a kid at nine years old, anything, you know, it, it really devastated my life. You know, that kind of outlook on life really devastated it. And then through that, I started to develop uh, a depression. Uh, a few years later, they diagnosed me with a severe chemical imbalance, then bipolar disorder, then uh, severe insomnia, and uh, some other things. And then when I was um, basically medicated most of my uh, childhood, and uh, after I you know, finished uh, high school, um, I got in a really bad car accident. So uh, I got prescribed opiates from the doctor. So that was my life, most of my life. I was uh, heavily medicated. Then I started to do um, heavy drugs. And then my, as I grew up in a Christian family and I knew about God, my, um, I had twisted uh, thoughts or viewpoints about God. So whenever I went to, to, to church or... Uh, you know, went to a rehab center that was Christian or anything like that, I always thought that um, I'm not good enough because I'm already sinning, I'm already doing drugs, I'm already doing bad stuff, and uh, that God's going to punish me, that God uh, um, is, you know, isn't happy with me. And then, you know, when you're a kid, a lot of times your parents tell you, well, if you don't listen to us, then you're not going to be blessed because that's one of the commandments. So I figured... I'm not going to be blessed. I'm so already cursed. So you kind of, you, you grew up in this kind of situation. And, um, and I tried to, to uh, break this chain of addiction many times. I went to a lot of uh, rehab centers, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, all kinds of doctors. Nothing would help me because I would quit for a few months. And then uh, I started getting depressed, so I started getting back on drugs. And this continued most of my life. I lived a life of depression, um, uh, suicide, suicidal thoughts. I was, you know, didn't want to live, but I was afraid to die, you know, because I knew hell was real. I'm going to go to hell. So it was kind of a messed up living thing. And then about five years ago, um, something really bad happened to me. I was uh, doing some drugs with my friend in the car, and I overdosed. Um, I d overdosed on heroin, and my friend got really freaked out when I overdosed, so... He first he started beating me on my face and then hitting my chest and then he saw nothing was happening. So he left me, he got in his car and he drove away. And then he, he called somebody, he said, Andre overdosed. Um, they're like, you're crazy, call the ambulance. So he finally called the ambulance and when they came, um, this is after they sat in the hospital, they said on the way to the hospital, they had to restart my heart twice. I wasn't breathing on my own. And then when they brought me to the hospital, they said that when they found me, I had 3% of oxygen in, in my brain. So... They told my family that most likely I will not make it because my heart is too weak to work on its own. And by some miracle that I do make it, I'll be, uh, they said he'll be uh, like a vegetable for the rest of his life. He'll be uh, brain dead for, for the rest of his life. Um, thank you, Jesus. My parents were praying. Um, four days later, I woke up from my coma. Praise the Lord. Um, the doctors... That's me right here. <laughs> the doctors were, were so shocked that they kept me in the hospital for five more days running tests on me. They would come into the hospital and be like, hey, can you read this? Can you talk to me? And I'm like, normal, talking to them. They're like, look at me like this, weird. You know? 
I'm like, I'm okay. They're like, oh, can you look at this? You know, can you, you know, for five days. And then they let me, and you know, to think that this uh, would change my life. But it didn't. Four days later, uh, my parents found me at their home with a needle in my arm passed out. So um, my family had an intervention at my house. We had uh, all my family came to me and they said, Andre, we, we want you to live. We want you to be happy. We want you to have a normal life. What can we do for you? And uh, my sister is a nurse at the hospital, and I told her, I said, you know what? Put me in a coma for two years. You know, I, I really don't have any hope for life. I really don't have any faith that my life will change. Uh, by this time, trying to break the cycle of addiction for uh, about 10 years, I realized and, uh, that I would be a drug addict for the rest of my life. I told them, you know, they said I will die with a needle in my arm. And I, I made peace with that. And um, my parents tried everything up to that point. You know, psychologists, psychiatrists, rehab centers, nothing worked. You know, pastors came to my house to pray for me, preach to me, and just they wouldn't listen. And then my mom met somebody that knew somebody in Israel. They said, hey, maybe you can go to Israel. It's the Holy Land. It's where Jesus was. Maybe that will help you. You know? And I was high at the time, so I said, yeah, yeah whatever, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I was drugged up out of my mind, so I wake up in Israel. <laughs> drool on my shirt, you know. I would like a little note in, in here where I'm supposed to go. I don't know how they even got me passed through the, through the passport control, but they picked me up from the... <laughs> a true story, you know. They picked me up from the airport... And uh, they brought me to the rehab center, and I started to, you know, the drug started to wear off. So I'm sitting there in Israel, and I'm like, what, what did I get myself into? And my parents were smart. They bought me one-way ticket. <laughs> <laughs> and they wouldn't pick up the phone on me when I called them. So I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, this is it. Uh, my withdrawals are, are going to start. And if you're doing hard drugs, anybody here who's ever did anything like that, it's, it's basically, it's, um, it's, it's unbearable because when you do drugs, it makes you feel good. But when the drugs leave your system, your body is so dependent on it that it makes every kind of sickness to make you give the drugs. So when you're on drugs, nothing hurts. But when you're withdrawing, your stomach hurts, your head hurts, everything hurts. You can't sleep, you can't eat, you just, you just want to die. The only thing that makes it better is more drugs. I say a lot of people can't quit. So I knew this feeling was, was coming, and, uh, and this lasts for at least a month until your body starts making uh, regular chemicals so you can start sleeping and eating and things like that. So I'm, I was dreading this. I'm like, oh, man, it's going to start, and I'm going to hate it, and then I'm gonna, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I was in this rehab center with, uh, from living Israel, and uh, most of these guys, well, probably all of them except me because I came from America, and I, I was a Christian before, but most of them are first-generation believers, meaning that when they arrived to Israel from different countries, mostly for the former, former Soviet Union, they were atheists. So they didn't know God. So when they heard uh, somebody preach to these guys who were with, in rehab with me about Jesus, they gladly accepted him into their hearts. So to them, gospel was simple. You know, I was there, and one guy comes up to me and says, hey, why don't we just pray for you, and God's going to take your withdrawal symptoms away. I'm like, you know, yeah, right. I'm like, I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, praying, and not, not once has it ever worked. 
But in order, I thought his faith is greater than mine since he said, he said, here it works for everybody. I'm like, okay, do it. So he prayed for me. It was just a simple prayer. He said, Lord, please take these withdrawal symptoms away from Andre and let him sleep. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's the whole prayer? He said, yeah, you know, that's it. That's the prayer. So I'm like, okay. And uh, the next day I wake up. I didn't remember how I fell asleep. And that, that continued for the next day and the next day. And a week went by, second week went by, no withdrawal symptoms. So praise Jesus. That was my first miracle. So, but, you know, the devil is tricky. When things start going good, he, poof, he shows up, and that's what he did in my life. He showed up. He said, you know, you're, you're being happy, short-lived. Uh, you know, you still don't have faith that anything will change. You're still a drug addict. Your identity is still a drug addict. Um, nothing will change. Um, you're just going to leave this, and you're going to go back to drugs. Why are you so happy? So I came to God. I said, you know, Lord, I'm in this situation. I, I really feel hopeless. The only thing that ever defined my life was uh, drugs. That's the only thing that made me happy. I don't really believe that I can fix, fix my life with anything else. I don't really have faith that my life will change. So all I had is this hopelessness and this faithlessness. And that's all that I can offer God at this time who already, you know, started changing my life. And I gave, brought this to him. He said, you know, and the devil even quoted the Bible to me. He said, the Bible says you cannot please God without faith. And I was so faithless at this point. So I came to God. I said, Lord, what, what you know, this is who I am. What can you do for me? And uh, God, in his infinite mercy, he showed me Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. Uh, in that uh, verse, it says, a leper came to Jesus. And he asked him, he said, Lord, if you are willing, cleanse me. And, you know, that was an, always an interesting uh, verse to me. Because everywhere else in the Bible, it says that Jesus, um, people were, faith, uh, were healed by their faith. I believe that this leper didn't have any faith, did not have any hope. That's why he kind of just came to Jesus, kind of, I think it was his last, Last hope, he just came and said, Jesus, if you're willing, because I'm faithless, I'm hopeless, I'm just this leper, if you just want to, willing, please cleanse me. He just said, I'm willing to be cleansed. So in the Russian translation, this verse reads, if you want to, you can cleanse me. So I came to Jesus and said, Lord, this is who I am. I'm faithless, I'm hopeless. I don't believe anything's going to change. I have all these disorders, all these, you know, uh, things. But if you want to, you can change me. And Jesus told me, I want to. And he started to change my life. And through this, um, I started becoming part of this Living Israel ministry. I went through their uh, rehab centers. Uh, I went through their Bible school. Uh, then I went through their practicum. Since um, um, I was a hard case to work with, I kind of been, been doing this. Usually it takes about a year. It took me about three years to go through all of this. And uh, they kept sending me from one country to another country because of my visa situation. But uh, after my practicum, well, during my practicum, I was in Switzerland uh, at one of their friends' churches. They, uh, they, they accepted me to go to, to live with them for a couple of months. And uh, I was sitting with, with, one, with one pastor, and I was telling him, you know, I'm, I'm 35 years old. 
um, I wasted my life. You know, and before that, like every time there would be an altar call, I would always run to the altar call every week, every Sunday, because I always feel that somehow I'm still un unforgiven or that some, still I have to make up for all the bad that they did wrong. Um, some, I need to do all these things to please God so God would be happy with me so he can finally forgive me and kind of take me into the, his family, maybe not as a son, but maybe as like a slave, you know what I mean, like the prodigal son, like as somebody because I, I felt so unworthy because I, I felt that I knew God all my life and I still I lived in sin for most of it pretty much. And now I, I was sitting, I want to apologize right now if somebody is handicapped or anything like that, but I just want to say what I, I, I said in front of my pastor. We were sitting down in his office, and I told him, I said, Pastor, you know, I feel, feel like I'm crippled, like um, the devil took something away from me, and that I cannot uh, fully please God, or I cannot make amends with God, that I'm not good enough for him. And um, then I said, you know what, sometimes I feel like, like a worthless dead dog. That's what I said to my pastor. I said, please tell me what do I need to do to have God love me, for him to forgive me, to, to, to actually feel that, that I'm accepted. And uh, the pastor in his wisdom, you know, um, said what any pastor would say. He said, ask God what you need to do. <laughs> I said, so thank you, pastor. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. But by this point, by this, by this point, I already learned that God blesses you tremendously if you are obedient to your pastor. If uh, you ask your pastor and he tells you to do something and you do it, God really blesses that. So I came home, sat on my bed, and I said, Lord, I'm doing what my pastor told me to do. I'm asking you, please tell me what I need to do for you to forgive me, for you to accept me, for you to love me. Know, to be a good father to me. And uh, I went to sleep. And um, I wake up with this word in my, in my, in my head uh, in, in the morning. This word is Memphibosheth. And I'm like, huh, that's, that's weird. So I do it what anybody else would do when they don't know. I, would, I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> so... I googled Memphibosheth, and it uh, turns out it's from the Bible. <laughs> so I guess, the, I guess it was God speaking in my spirit. You know, now I know this for sure, but at that time, I was really surprised. So I opened the Bible, and it takes me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, verse 3 through uh, 11. So the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, there is still... Jonathan's son, who is crippled in both feet. The king asked him, where is he? Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Lodebar, at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So King David had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodebar. Memphibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, bowed down to the ground, and paid homage. David said, Memphibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. David said, don't be afraid, since I intend to show you kindness because of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat, at, eat meals at my table. 
Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. You know, this really broke me. Because this really showed the, the, the heart of the Father God that I never knew before. Because the only conversation I thought that I had with my pastor, nobody heard what the Father heard. And he took two things that you were talking about when I said, I feel crippled. And then I said, I feel like a dead dog. I didn't even think that that would be in the Bible. And it was. So he was speaking to me. And he told me because of what Jesus Christ did. Like David had a relationship with Jonathan. Same thing, the father has a relationship with Jesus. He said, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I will return to you everything that the devil has stolen from you. I will give it back to you. And you will be as my son eating at my table. So from that point on, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. So... So from that point on, God healed my heart. I realized that I don't have to pay back anything to God, that Jesus already paid everything for me, that I can just accept. I, did, I just got accepted into his family, and now I'm as his son. So what really changed my life in the root is my identity. My identity from that point on became a son of God. I became a child of the living God. And nobody can take that away from me. And through that, amen. And through that, I was in Germany um, like a year later, or I don't remember, sometime around that time. And uh, we went to a doctor friend. She wanted to, because um, she didn't believe me I was on drugs. Right away, you know what I mean? I'm 39 years old. People, people say that, you know, maybe not right now, but they used to tell me I look, I look 10 years younger than my age, you know. So when I was in Germany, um, I told her I did heroin. I was shooting up. And then she said, I don't, I, you know, I don't believe you. You, know, you don't look like a drug addict, like a normal that I, I work with. So she hooked me up to all this machinery and, and ran all these tests on me. And she said, all your organs are fine. You're a perfectly healthy young man. You know, praise Jesus. So God didn't only heal me physically. Uh, he healed my heart. He healed me mentally and spiritually. And today... Uh, I want to uh, do a short sermon on identity. I'm going to pray really quick so the Lord will bless this sermon. Father God, I just want to glorify the name of Jesus through this, Lord. I just want to glorify your holy name. I ask you to open up the hearts here, Lord. And I want you to, I want to share this message like you shared it to me. I want, to, I want you to show these people here, this family, this church body, Lord, like you showed it to me, how important we are to you, Lord, and that our identity is your children, Lord. And I, I ask you to bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Because I wanted to preach on something else. Now I know because uh, <laughs> God put me before this man who's going to preach uh, next uh, Friday. Now I know why, why God did this, because I was going to preach on something else. And last minute yesterday, I was preparing this at 7 o'clock at night. Now I know why. You know, today I'm going to preach on identity. You know, I always wondered, how did all the Pharisees become so godless that Jesus called them sons of the devil? And how did 12 ordinary men change the world? 
How was David different than Saul? Why do people today in ministry sometimes walk away from God? Uh, because when the devil attacks you, he attacks your identity. This month, we lost a friend of ours who was a great man of God. Um, he did a rehab ministry for five years. He was a really awesome, uh, good example to the guys, really awesome man of God. Then he got married. They just had a, a son born. And then on my birthday, December 20th, he overdosed of heroin. heroin. So that boggled my mind. And I was thinking, why does some man of God fall away? And I was even thinking of me because, you know, a lot of people tell you, oh, well, you're just one decision away from doing something stupid. Like all of, all of us here, you can go and sin and do something. So what's keeping us from doing that, you know? And today I'm more and more convinced that somewhere along the way their identity was in question and they believed in a lie. You know, Jesus said that I will not leave you as orphans. You know, I was thinking, why did he say this to his disciples? He said in John 14, 17 through 19, he said, the spirit of truth, the world cannot receive him because it is neither sees him nor knows him, but you, do, but you do know him, for he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus said this to his disciples, and he also said this to us. And uh, um, in a few verses before that, in John 14, uh, 9, he also says that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Uh, in John 14, 8, Philip uh, said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus replied, Philip, I have been with you all this time, and still you do not know me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The word I say to you, I do not speak on my own, and said it is the Father dwelling in me, performing his works. So Jesus to his disciples, he was always telling them that I and the Father are one. You know, John, he was a little bit weird, you know, because Jesus and John were the same age. So they were growth, both grown men in their 30s. And John was always laying on the chest of Jesus. But John got it. John understood that Jesus Christ was a father. And John understood that even being his disciple, that he's a child of the living God. That's why. That's why. He even wrote uh, uh, in, in, in his book that uh, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, you know, because he knew that he's loved by the Father. He knew who he was. He knew that his identity was a child of God. Jesus also said that the devil is the father of lies. In John 8, 44, he was talking to the Pharisees. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, Adam and Eve's identity in the garden, they were children of God. God was their father. They were the original family unit, father and his children. And where did the devil attack Adam and Eve? He attacked them. In the core, he had attacked them in their identity. See, uh, when we read in Genesis 3.1, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? 
The woman answered to the serpent, we may eat at the fruit of the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God has said, you must not eat of it or touch it or you will die. The devil said, you will not surely die, the serpent told her, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What the devil convinced them is that their father isn't really looking out for their best interest, that he is hiding something from them. And they believed him. He, he was able to lie to them, and they believed in the lie. Same thing. That's why uh, God always says, Jesus said, be like children. Because children's identity is, is in their parents. Children, the only thing children know is, uh, I am a child. That's it. They don't think anything else of themselves. But, the, but uh, what the devil does is the same thing he does to teenagers today. <laughs> same thing he did to Adam and Eve. He comes to the teenagers and he says, your parents don't love you. Your parents don't really want you to go out and have fun because they don't care about you. So what God wants us to do is not to become spiritual teenagers. He wants us to always be his children so our identity would be rooted in, in being a child of God. See, all the devil does is he makes us believe in a lie, that God is not a good father, that he doesn't care about you. You really aren't a child of God. He convinces people today that God is not their father, that they are orphans, that they are on their own, that they are not good enough, that God doesn't have a plan for their life, that they are not anointed and set apart. What the devil does is convince people of a lie. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in all its fullness. I believe what the devil really steals is your identity. When you don't know who your father is, then it's really easy for you to believe in a lie. That is why Jesus had to be tempted the same way that the first Adam was tempted. In his identity. But Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he was the son of God. So when the devil came to tempt him in the wilderness, he said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Then he also said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off this building. But Jesus' identity, he knew who he was. He knew that he was the son of God. And that couldn't be taken away from him. Because of Jesus, our identity is in God. We are children of God, the sons and daughters of the living God. That's why the disciples did what they did. They knew that the Father, they saw the Father through Jesus. That is why John, well, I already said this, it was a little weird. <laughs> but, but he got it. He got it. And um, I want to end uh, with a little story. Did, did any of you guys watch... Uh, the movie or the cartoon Lion King? All right. Um, so Scar, the bad lion, as the story goes, kills uh, the, the father, the, the, the king lion. And then Simba, the baby lion king, he, he didn't really see what happened, but Scar convinces him. He convinces the Simba, the baby lion, that it's his fault. He says, look what you did. Does that, does that seem familiar? He says, look what you did. It's all you. Look what you have done. You need to run away. 
So Simba runs away from his problems, meets like-minded individuals, Simone and Pumbaa, they're you know, living their little life, Hakuna Matata, no worries, eating worms, going you know, crazy. Then one day, the prophet comes along, the monkey, and hits him on the head, he goes boom. And he says, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing with these weird guys eating worms? You know, you're, you're, you're a king. You're a child of a king. What are you doing? So he, he makes Simba goes into his little prayer closet, which was a lake in the cartoon, but prayer closet, let's say. And, um, and that's where he meets father. And you know what the father says? He says, Simba, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You know, God put this on my heart to preach this today because I believe this sermon is for somebody here today. Maybe this describes somebody here today. Uh, where the devil came into your life, made chaos, then blamed it all on you. So you ran away from your calling, from the plans and blessing God has for you. That, that is why he sent me here today to tell you, remember who you are. And I want to tell you what God says about you, what Father God says about you. You are a child of the Most High. God has a plan for your life. God will return to you all that the devil has stolen from you. God has a hope and a future for you. You are a son and a daughter of God. God loves you. He is a good father. He cares about you. You are important to him. You are his beloved child. Run back to your father. Stop believing in the lies of the devil. Father God, I just want to thank you. If everybody can please stand up. I just want to end this in a prayer. Father God, thank you so much that in your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, that our identity is in you, Lord, that we are children of God, that you love us, Lord, that you love us, Lord, and nothing can take you out of your, out of your hand, Lord. And the devil, he's a liar, Lord. And right now, if the devil lied to somebody here, Lord, right now, I break those lies, Lord, and I ask you to come into their heart, Lord, and open up to them, Lord, who you are, that you are loved, Lord, that they are beloved children, that they are your beloved sons and daughters, Lord. I, I thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for this church, Lord. I bless this church in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.